What a great way to wake up. With a cup of logic, reason, and common sense. Welcome to the Independence Morning View. Let's get to it. So we've got a, we've got a listener that wants to know what a quasar is, and so I, I know we talked a little bit about it yesterday on the morning show, but we're going to lead with it this morning. But Ned, you're in here, and you were asking what uh, what the pretext was. Bruce, go ahead. We brought up a story yesterday that was talking about a, a quasar. Scientists had seen that uh, furthest one, um, fourteen point zero three billion light years away, I believe. Uh, well, yeah, pretty far away. But this yeah. one was super massive um it it was a thousand times more luminous than our galaxy and do you know why well this one they were theorizing this one was uh, a supermassive black hole that was um sucking in a lot of material the light that was coming from that the uh emissions were from all the gases and everything it was consuming that was basically on the event horizon if you will as it yeah. was being sucked in there was so much energy being you know uh, excited and released. That's basically what was happening. Right. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. Right. Actually, a quasar. Right. You've, you're pretty spot on it, because you've got a black hole. You've got a nucleus. Yeah. Right. So a quasar is a QSO. It's a quasi-stellar object. Yeah. Okay. Which is also called. Right. It's a luminous. It's also called an active galactic nucleus. So it's at the center mm-hmm. in which there's a, ma- a supermassive black hole. That's why you've got an event horizon. Mm-hmm. And if you can imagine the size of our sun, and then you take something like times it by a million to a billion times the mass, if you can think in that size, you have a quasar. So yeah. basically, it's a galactic, it's a massive galactic object with a huge black hole at its center, and it's just doing that, and it's spinning and it's spouting out. You'll see it, and it'll be like a massive white line where you've got the event horizon, everything's positive, spinning in like. But it's also erupting energies out, and it's going on a huge galactic scale. I've heard of that, so I, it's been a long time. I remember learning about that in my, like my science classes when we were talking about like astrology and stuff. When you have uh, these things, when they eventually get, when it ejects so much uh, energy that it's actually like a fountain on either end, right? It, that's yeah. what it looks like. Yeah, it looks like a circle with a big white line going through it, sort of thing. Yeah, so it's spiraling. Yeah. It's, it's actually spiraling, ejecting. and although then it's ejecting. It's, although it's taking all this stuff in, there's too much. And it's just ejecting so much energy. But it's of a, I mean, the galactic scale is just huge. It is literally massive. I mean, if you think of the sun, if the sun was at that size, the Earth would be about that size. But a quasar is millions and billions of times the mass of our sun. This one is, yeah, this one is 1.6. This one's 1.6 billion times the mass of our sun. There you go. It is super massive, they call it. Yes, this one is definitely a uh, And it's called, a, a Quasar gets its name from a quasi-something object, but it's also a galactic nuclei, and it's got that black hole, supermassive black hole, and that's what causes it. I was getting it mixed up in my head to begin with. Well, this one, um, they were saying this one, this for, I know it, technically we're going over the, the same story again, but this one, the reason this one is such a, a big deal is it's 
questioning or causing us to question our theories on how supermassive black holes are formed, because this one would be so old. This one is 13 billion light years away. And they're saying... um, 13 and a half is the time of... Yeah, 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 exactly. So they're saying this thing is... uh, This would have formed 670 million years after the Big Bang. Mm. Mm. So that's... That's basically this one, the size of it and everything is essentially it's consuming the galaxy, more or less. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's what they do. They are super massive. Whatever it is, it's consuming. That's why you're getting all these. Is this what you're going to talk about this morning? No, this was yesterday morning. Oh, bugger. Well, we were talking about. Actually, it would be on today, this this morning's, yes. Yeah, but what I'm saying, no, that would be an interesting talk. Well, we were Uh, were talking about. We were talking about that, but I mean, I've got some other stuff here, and I, I don't know if this uh, this kind of stuff interests you, but uh, mysterious dark matter ghost particle may have finally been detected. Uh, now, first of all, what is a dark matter ghost particle? Can we figure Gosh, that one out? That's the first on me. A dark matter ghost particle? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I think what they're meaning there is dark matter, and they're using the ghost particle because we don't really have actual concrete evidence proof yeah matter is there okay in a breakthrough that could help unravel several of the most perplexing mysteries of the universe scientists believe they have detected traces of a hypothetical dark matter particle bruce i recall that we talked about this at one point in time but i I can't i can't remember how long ago it's been but i remember like this seems familiar to me Mm -hmm. no we we've also talked about dark matter kind of offline as well because there's there's theories that um, dark matter makes up like 70% of the universe and it's eventually going to tear the universe apart because it's, you know, causing expansion and everything. And uh, oh, that, no, that's, you've, that's, that's, that's it. I don't know. I mean, that's, that's for people who are saying how far can the universe expand? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, no, that that's, that's, you see, the universe is expanding, you know, and there's so many different things that can happen. Yeah. It's like if you took off, and accelerated it and just kept accelerating, yeah? And kept going and going and going and going and going. You'd eventually get to a place where you'd be on your own because the universe is expanding. You've left everything behind you. You wouldn't be able to catch anything and you wouldn't be able to get back. And it's it's a very strange maths when you get to that side of things. And by the way, your ghost particle is supposed to have been seen from a dead star. Okay. Uh, it says researchers believe that axions may be responsible for the high energy X-ray emissions emanating from a group of neutron stars, which are the smallest. Neutron densest, stars, yeah, yeah, which are the smallest. Neutron star, basically, it is yeah. So, but you can either, if a star dies, you can become a black hole, depending on what type of star it is. But it can also become a neutron star, and a neutron star is like. If you can imagine compressing everything, so it's the densest thing you've ever seen. You know, I heard about that. Once. And it's a heavy, and it is just about the heaviest thing you'd ever get. I heard about this. Uh, uh, they were actually uh, the scientists, NASA scientists, actually put this together one time, and I heard this about a year and a half, two years ago, something like that. And they determined that uh, they were observing a neutron star, and they determined mm-hmm. that the weight of a teaspoon, so you know, a teaspoon, the measurement, a weight. Yeah of a teaspoon of matter yeah. from a neutron star weighed around a billion tons. Possibly, or more. That's, that's a, I mean, you think about that. You, you think about that to what we know. I mean, what would a billion tons be in, in you know, with what we know? You know what I mean? You've got a very strong but, teaspoon. Yeah, but you're talking, <laughs> exactly. But you're talking about like a teaspoon, something, think about that. The size yeah, of something. Dense, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, but okay, right. 
they say we're all made of stardust, yeah? Well, it's true. Yeah, supposedly, yeah. Yeah, because basically all these different stars, right? Do you know what actually causes a star to go pop? It eventually exhausts all of its energy, right? Not quite. Yes and no. What holds a star together? Gravity and magnetic fields. You've got basically what it's trying to do, it's got its nuclear reactions trying to make it go that way, and you've got gravity going that way. And depending on which one eventually wins, depending on what happens to the star. So when it starts using up all this stuff, because our star, it transforms hydrogen into helium, and that is the process it uses. And that's what it's happily doing. When it starts to make different elements, it will start to die. And when it makes, ours won't go that far. It depends on the star, but I think the biggest star I mean, most the bit, most not not the biggest ones, but a lot of stars. If they get as close to making something like carbon or iron, that's when they're dead. It's actually the change in makeup, and yes, they're exhausting their fuel, but they're actually changing the process in what they make, and then they actually eventually die. And then one wins over. Either it goes down and implodes in itself, or it just dies, or it explodes, depending on the process and type of star. It's a very interesting subject. It's endless. It is. And to go down that route, I mean, I, I know we like to talk uh, a lot of uh, space talk and stuff here on the on these morning shows. And to be honest with you, I, I've never really had this conversation with you before, Ned. It's a nice mug, by the mm-hmm. way. Uh, I've never had these conversations with you before. Let's talk. Um, let's, let's leave the Polar Express. Yeah, let's talk. Do you know what uh, I've got that? Was that? So I dropped my favorite mug. Did you really? I noticed chipper. it wasn't. Yeah, I noticed it wasn't. And it was. Usual. I had a nice big NASA mug. Yeah. And I went there to get it. And I brought it back and dropped the bastard. Oh, that is no. very annoying. Uh, yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> so annoying. <laughs> I, I want to actually get your take on what they're doing on um, on this uh, this thing that Bruce was talking about. You and I were talking about this offline. We didn't actually bring up bring it up on a podcast. You'd mentioned these particles that can do data transfers. Yeah. So uh, they did some. There was research that came out. Now this is a little sketch uh, because it was China that did the research. So. We know how China is with the, the research. Yeah. But anyway, um, supposedly they one of the particles, the quantum level, I don't remember which particle it was, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have the article with me. Um, they were able to use that to transmit data from one laboratory to another laboratory. And my basic understanding of what they did, is it, it, it's basically uh, entangling the two particles together or, or something to that effect and oscillated one particle in it cause the other one to oscillate in a, you know, in a different location on the planet and at the same time, basically. And they're theorizing that if they can do this on a, a larger scale, they'll be able to, to transmit data with no data loss anywhere in the galaxy using this method. And it would be near instantaneous. But if you can transmit data, data is just ones and zeros. Right. Yeah. You're going down a horrible line here because if you can do it to data on ones and zeros... And if you go down to hexadecimal level and even you want to use DNA as storage things, can you get to a level where you can actually look at a person's DNA and see a format and be able to transmit that? That that's where that's that is basically what this leads up to. As far as we're concerned now, the only thing we can really send is ones and zeros. Yeah. Because we don't have the under or, or the technology or understanding to go into the level of but they're also they're also thinking about using DNA as data storage because you can because they know because once they've looked at the genome and gone Christ how much data is there yeah we must be able to use it as a storage unit 
So if we can create DNA and then just use it for the purpose of data storage, why not? And it's, no, that, that is what some people are looking into because you can put so much into it at such a molecular level. Mm-hmm. You get molecular computers. And if you can do it at a molecular level, then you've got the next step is quantum, which is smaller particles. But then somebody was looking at the quantum the other day, which is really good because like they say, when somebody says quantum, they go, it's very small. But they were doing an experiment and there are three rules. And one of them is... If we do a quantum experiment, why was it different? Now, does it mean whoever is observing it can change the result by just being there? Uh, that's it's entirely really possible. Spooky. Now, here, here's the thing, and, and I've yeah. heard that talk. I, I've heard that talk with things like Google. They're in. They're getting into the uh, the quantum computing thing, and mm-hmm. we've talked about that before. And if I understand it correctly, Bruce, it's it's where it's exactly what you were just talking about, Ned. Where Somebody actually being there can affect the outcome of can what that machine Can influence the outcome exactly. of something, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's our, as far as quantum computing is concerned, that's one of the hiccups, if you will. Yes. Yeah. Small changes They're trying like to that. prove it. They're it, trying to prove it. Which, so, you could have, you, so you could have your set controls, but with a different observer causing a different outcome. Yeah. Yeah. They were, they were, there was um, uh, an article, I don't know that we went over it, but this was uh, from a while back last year. They were talking about what was called time crystals. And unfortunately, you know, because of time and everything, I don't have the article again, but there were the, the time crystals were just basically the, the lattice structure was a specific type. And mm-hmm. it was one of the side effects of it was it was quantum stable. I mean, it was stable at the quantum level, meaning an outsider observing it would not alter it if you will, or, or something. Wow. So there was some kind of, it was a big advancement. And if they made the computers using this, then the quantum computers would be more stable and capable of, of you know, coming up with the same outcomes, if you will, with different observers. Uh, so uh, if that's true, that's a huge, huge step. It's massive. In that, in that area. It's massive. Because yeah. that actually gives a, a more of a rigid structure. But there you go. Uh, <laughs> Let's get your thought on what these steps are to go to the moon. What do you think our priority should be once we get there? The moon? Yeah. Uh, I, uh, well, the thing is, now you're in a different ball game because basically we have nobody supposedly has any jurisdiction over anything outside the Earth's atmosphere. So whoever goes there, yeah, as long as they don't sort of cause any uproar, can actually establish their own place. And when one moves, everybody else will move. Because that's human nature is one-upmanship. So you'll have um, you, the nations that have got technology that could get you to the Japan, India, China, America, Russia, of course. If you look into the slots, if you look into um, within the last thirty years, there are even countries like Iran that have actually decided on designs of ships that other people have made as if they could actually buy them and get their people to go because they would not want to be last. They'd want to establish something because, well, that'd be because of the uh, religious base because basically it's it's, it's the people, isn't it? So it would be the start of a race and it'd be the stepping stone to Mars. You're going to get people that can get to the moon and then you're going to get somebody who will circumnavigate that or do it at the same time and also send people to Mars. And that person seems to be Elon Musk. It does. No, uh, no, he wants he he wants that he wants to achieve that, and that is that is his aim. That is his aim, his ballpark. And I don't I don't think anyone's going to be able to um, stop him. I I think to some degree. I mean, I don't personally know the man, but 
to achieve that, that will change a lot of things. That will change a lot of things. But once the people are there, you can guarantee they're going to want to make their own rules, their own laws, and they are going to want to say if they will toe the line and then they will want independence. It's as simple as that. If they achieve um, self-sufficiency there, they will want independence because they're not going to want the crap that's going on here. This is why Schwab, yeah, this is why Schwab and company want to be able to control what goes on up there and mm-hmm. and they're not going to be able to. No, I mean, to what some degree, I mean, one of his first statements that he ever said was, PayPal, I need money coming in because this is something I want to achieve in the years before because if man doesn't get to Mars, the chances are he's going to burn out. Simple as that. Exponentially, it gives you a much bigger chance to survive if you split between two planets. Yeah, it's the idea of um, the, the the stages of, of or tier of civilization you are. I mean, we're yeah. currently in, at zero, basically. I think the first stage is where you're populating a solar system, and then it, it progresses from there. And a species that populates a solar system is difficult to eradicate, but a species that uh, populates an entire galaxy is essentially, in, you know, invulnerable. To you. Oh well, no. Once it's out there, but then you've got another you've got another problem because when I mean. Copernicus and all them people have said this is a special planet and whatever. But the one thing that they're starting to discover is, yeah, we are a special planet, but that's a special sun. There are only so many, there's, there's a lot of them out there, but each sun, here we go, is another subject. Each sun gives out a certain amount of noise, depends on its activity and its solar flares. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of these suns out there that are younger, older, more active. So you've got your well-being zone where we are. Now, if you had a planet, but the sun was too active, it could strip the atmosphere or whatever from there. So now you've got so many different variables where they've looked at it and they actually sent, was it Java they sent up there? Undercut the budget. It knew the um, uh, background noise of the sun and they went la di da di da because budgets were cut. They put it up there. It looked around for a while and went, we're hearing a lot too much noise from most of these ones we're looking at so they're more active and then eventually they just went yeah forget it okay we've got to rethink this and then when they looked around and they did their uh, mathematics and what they reckon we're down to something like 2.7 percent chance that's out of a lot of stars that's still quite a few but it is a small percentage and there might be other variables in there but we're right in what they call, I, I, for lack of a better term, it's, we're in what they call the sweet spot. Yeah. We're, we're yeah. perfectly aligned where we should be in order to support life and be protected. Yeah, the habitable zone. The habitable zone. zone. Uh, do, you know, do you know the best, do you know, the, you know the biggest friend we've got in the whole solar system out of all the planets? That's probably able to survive is Jupiter. No, Although it's a nightmare around there, it's because the size of it and where it is, when so much crap at any time must have come in, it has got such a gravitational field that it would have taken most of the crap that could have come our way. So yeah. when you look at that thing, <laughs> you think, thank you very much, mate. <laughs> you might have saved my ass. But yeah. did I? Was I but criticizing not, that big red spot of yours? <laughs> Just ignore yeah, me, really. It's, I yeah, didn't exactly, mean Exactly, yeah. yeah. But, but no, there's, there's so many variables. But what we've got to remember is, we are living in the golden age. We are living in a golden age here. Your universe, like you say, you mentioned expansion, it's expanding. So things are going further away. This is the time where we've got to use our imaginations, 
use what we're bloody good at to actually get out there and go, wow. You know? Yeah, well, and that's been my argument yeah. is we're behind. We're behind. I, I yeah. firmly believe that. I, I firmly believe we should already have a colony on the moon. We should have done that decades ago. We're probably 50 years behind in terms of space travel. That's just my opinion. I don't know where you stand on it, but that's that's my take. Because well, technology had to catch up. That's our it, it did. But at the same time, you've also got these special interest groups that have arrested development and shut down the programs that we've needed to help us further that exploration. For example, oh, yeah. NASA. NASA was shut down. The space shuttle program was shut down. Granted, granted, the shuttle was getting old and it was still using the uh, the propellant system that it was using. And it was a lot of you know waste and money and all that stuff. I understand. But you don't just shut it down. You innovate. You push towards the next well, thing. It's, how long have we had something in orbit slowly being built? What, what do you mean something in orbit? Well, a station. We've had a station that's been oh, slowly it was built the, for decades. Yeah, it was, yeah, it's been the – it started out as – you've got a platform Russians. up there – if you can build a space station, what's stopping you from building something that can fly from the top of our orbit to the moon? It's a reusable object, isn't it? So that is what they should have done. I totally agree with you, Johnny. If you can ship things up into orbit, you could ship something up there that doesn't need to use all the fuel, which is getting out of Earth's gravity well is the most expensive thing out. You build it up there. In fact, when I was um, in the Navy, I had to do... Um, a talk on something once and they wanted and so i did a talk on a cesium reactor and creating something that could fly between planetary objects and i said yeah it works if you can build it and bung it up there as long as you get out of the gravity well and you've got it there you're not expending everything that's our biggest problem that is why elon musk the first thing he, he did says we've got to find reusable things here you've got to fly them up and get them back to land and once we've done that that's when we start the big push so that was his first major step. Because, yeah, it costs so much to just fire it off from the ground to get it up there. But once you're building up there, if you can ship things up there and slowly build it, how many years, how big a thing could we have actually built up there if we just did it? And I'm to the point now where, I mean, I say we should have had a colony up there, sure. And it's it's to your point, how big could it be by now? And we don't even have to be having this discussion about, well, we need to get back to the moon and everybody's going to have their own spaces. We should already be long on our way to Mars and talking about going beyond by now. Yeah, you would, you'd, you'd have been to the moon. You'd have been using all that stuff out of the asteroid belt. You would have had no problem with minerals and stuff and whatever. Therefore, new life fuel back sources, here would have been a lot easier. Yep. yep. And because well, think about the innovation the we They got. missed the boat, didn't they? They did. They did. Think about and Bruce, you brought this up several times before. Think about the innovation that we've gotten in our own lives that we got out of the initial space race after the end of the war when we started going up to uh, uh, to get into orbit and then going to the moon. Yeah. I mean, uh, just what you guys are talking about here, we could have made so many. Basically, science fiction has been talking about doing a space dock, if you will, uh, a dock in space where you can build larger ships and all that kind of stuff, right? That, that's yeah. that's what so like we should have. Like a dry dock, but in orbit. Exactly. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. We should have been doing that long ago. I mean, once we got up there, granted, I mean, uh, maybe now we're at a better point with the size of technology and everything. Because, I mean, honestly, the, the, the calculators nowadays compared to what they had 60 years ago, it would house a much larger, you know, it would take a much larger device back then. I mean, equal what we have now. No, I totally agree. The two things that are going to make the difference or will make the difference are like, your printers, your 3D printers, 3D and stroke 4D printers, basically, they are a must wherever you go. And 
nanotechnology. Yes, yes. They've got to be able to, I mean, it's it's on its way. They've been looking at it for ages. Yes, it's straight out of science fiction. But if you can put elements and change them at a nano level and get out what you want, which they call a nano factory, that's awesome. And then you use a 3D printer to actually design it into what you want. You've got your 3D and 4D printers. You've got your ideas there. They're a must. They'll be going out to Mars and the moon or whatever because they'll be building stuff. And that's what they do. They'll already have the designs. And as long as they ship the stuff out there, the machines out there that they can use, they've just got to find the material. But the thing is, it's that first step. It is like everything. It's that first step. And once that first step gets taken, it then starts to become a rush. And then people start getting involved. And in some respect, it would be better for here because when you get competition from different countries, then you will forget a lot of the norms. And then people will start to be start thinking again about frontiers and their brains, their imaginations will start going. And yet you'll get your independence. And well, why can't we do this? Why can't we do this? That's a good idea. And that is what pushes the human race. That's what we're good at. And that's what we've got to refine. Suppressing it all and whatever. Who the hell? This is what I don't get about the situation. You find somebody that's intelligent. You don't keep them down. You use your tools. You don't go into your workshop and go and break everything up, do you? You use your tools for what they're for. And we're at the top of the food chain because we have so many variable abilities. And just because you can't doesn't mean I can't. And just because I don't think I can doesn't mean you can't. So when you start getting your heads together, especially in this country, we are just so bogged down in middle management and top-heavy paperwork and bureaucracy because we don't manufacture things or a few things. And that's what we've lost. Give the chance to manufacture again. Get out to the asteroid belt. Get that stuff. Put somebody on there and give it, right, what are we going to do with this? Give them the tools and say, right, there you go. What are you going to do? They'll come up with something. And I'll be jealous as hell because it'll be after me. Sorry, Bruce. Go on. Sorry about that. I, I think the, the catalyst has been started. Uh, what you were talking mm-hmm. about there with, uh, you know, Musk, um, we've got, what, three major companies uh, that are trying to do space travel. There's a few yeah. upstarts that are trying to do it now as well. We've got the Space Force here in the U.S. That's going to trigger other nations to be like, well, we need to have our own Space Force. So it is, I mean, we're seeing catalysts or things that could be a catalyst to push that innovation. And, uh, <laughs> and, you, know, and, and you know, the most ruinous bureaucratic thing that British couldn't, Britain can supply? Middle management and companies that think they can sell rights to asteroid miners before they even get there. Now, what a ripoff is that? I was going to say, that's a, that's a rip-off. <laughs> As if when you're out there, they're going to go, you're telling me I can't do this? Come out and tell me otherwise. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I sold those rights to that bloke over there. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. That's like, <laughs> <laughs> no, not you, him. Yeah. <laughs> you with the hat. Yeah, him. Yeah. All right. No. Um, that's uh, that's been a uh, it's been a fascinating conversation. So we are going to have to uh, we're going to have to call it an end. But um, thank you guys for sitting down this morning. Usually we have a, uh, uh, you know, some lists of things that we kind of vary it up a little bit, but an entire morning show on uh, on nothing but space. I liked it. I liked it. I, li- I like the conversation. It's good. But barring anything else, thanks for being here this morning, Ned. Appreciate that. Love getting your take on that stuff. 
we haven't actually had that conversation before. Uh, and it's uh, it's nice to hear a uh, different view than uh, usually Bruce and I going back and forth about uh, about stuff involving. Space is uh, positive. Sorry. But no, it is. is no, it is. It is. It is. And I, and I agree with you. It's when you have people that you're talking about, if if you ha- if you start having this race to get up there and that's what I, that's what I keep harping on. Our future's up there. It's not here. It's not here. Our future's out there. You can call that futuristic and, and sci-fi and all that stuff, whatever you want. I don't care. But the fact is, is it's exactly what you said, Ned. It is the people that will strive to do more. That's humanity's future up there. We will put all this yeah. differences aside about fighting amongst ourselves. Yes, you're going to have the, the people that are stuck in that old way of thinking. They're always going to be there, but they're going to be the extreme minority. But you're going to have everybody else that's going to say, all right, wh- why are we fighting with India? Why are we fighting with... Uh, the Japanese? Why are we fighting with someone from, uh, or, you know, a country in, in Africa? Why are we fighting with uh, countries in South America? We need to be working together and we need to find the brightest minds to come together. And we need to start grabbing up all the people we can because it's time for us to take the next step. And that's what all this is about. That's what all this is about. Everything we're seeing now, that's what this is about. That's what this is really about. It's they don't want that to be able to happen because what Prince Charles said, this is their last shot. They're not going to be able to stop us after this because if they can't do it this time, they're not going to be able to because we're headed up and out of this place and they are not coming with us. Yeah. So let's do it. Let's do it. We, uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Let's go. Let's, let's, we don't have time for this. You know, I keep saying that we don't have time for this. We got other things to do. Anyway, all right. Uh, we are going to have to go. So thank you guys for sitting down this morning. Thank you to all the listeners. For all these topics and more, please check us out later on this afternoon. And I hope everyone has a great morning.